On today's episode of Before You Kill Yourself, I have Adam Pearson, who is a British actor, presenter, and campaigner. He appeared in the 2013 film Under the Skin. He was born with neurofibromatosis and has been involved in outreach programs to prevent bullying associated with deformities. We get into so much here. This was such an enlightening and insightful episode. Uh, I have so many books I'm going to read after this. I'm also going to re-watch Chris Rock's uh, comedy specials. But he talks about how to deal with bullying, not just on the playground, but in social media. He says, I don't retaliate, I escalate. I was like, oh, damn, it's about to go down. He also talks about how to deal with failure. It's it's such an insightful, uh, beautiful way. So once again, if you're if you're out there uh, struggling right now, whether it's dealing with loneliness, feeling overwhelmed, we talk about how he has dealt with those moments where he's felt overwhelmed and how he's gotten over it. He's 35 now. He has such an incredible story. You're going to be uh, so empowered. You're just going to you're going to walk away wanting to read more, do more, live more. This is one of those episodes. So with that said, uh, oh, and if you haven't been to thrivewithleo.com, go, go to thrivewithleo.com uh, for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. And uh, let's get to tomorrow together. Uh, so I'm here with Adam Pearson. Uh, he's an actor. He's an activist. Uh, and you were born with neurofibromatosis. Yes, correct, or, or NF1 for short. It's a genetic condition that affects roughly one in every 2,300 people, which puts it just within the, the, the category of rare. The benchmark in the UK, um, from a definitive point of view, is anything beyond one in 2,000. And are there other people in your, because you're in England, correct? Correct, yes. So are, have you found a community of other people with NF1? Um, oh, absolutely. There are loads of charities and support groups that, that are around. And I think things like Facebook and Twitter and, and Instagram have made finding those communities a lot easier. Information is more accessible and people are more accessible, and which is the real double-edged sword that is, is social media. And charities I, I campaign for and with often have kind of meetups where people kind of get together and just chat on, on their own terms. And those kind of things help people feel less alone in this situation because the, the medical world, and particularly genetics, if you're not used to it, can be utterly terrifying. Terrifying? Mm-hmm. In, in what way? Well, you're, you're thrust into this, this medical world and, and medical system that's very different in the UK. And a lot of the kind of complex jargon that, that surrounds medicine, like genotype, um, phenotype, are all, if again, if you're not used to it, really intimidating at first. And so certainly for me, I had to, at a very young age, I had to take really tight control of my own medical destiny um, as it were, and do a lot of learning really quickly to get rid of that kind of mysticism or, or element of the unknown that, that surrounds it so that I knew what was going on and, and what was up. Because in, in, in the medical world, knowledge is very much power. And the more you know about the devil you're dealing with, the less intimidating it can be. 
Well, you know, what I love about what you said is uh, you, you took control and you didn't just leave your your future and your health uh, in the hands of uh, doctors just because they're doctors. Uh, no, I think they, they have, and I, I love doctors, I love medicine. I think doctors and, and surgeons are definitely very knowledgeable and, and very skilled. But ultimately, I think the patient is king. And they're, they're there to treat me. I'm not there for them to flex on or or kind of experiment with, like, it's some messed up Marvel thing um, come to life. And it, ultimately, like anything, much like comedy, it's a communication game. And everyone kind of sits down and works out what's wanted, what's needed, and what's possible, and then works towards the, the kind of best-case scenario for that. You know, you're absolutely right in that patient is king a lot of times because I, I do life coaching and, and other and I also uh, personal train. And uh, I always love to start where the client wants to start versus coming in and telling them what to do. A lot of times people know what they need to do, or at least where they need to start. And it's really about helping them discover it on their own. Yeah, completely. Getting people over that initial inertia or kind of whatever barrier or resistance that's there to enable them to help themselves, um, if you will. And I think that's really key, is giving people the life skills to move forward and to be the best them that they can be. And and that's because that's ultimately who people, people love. I've got a very good family, a very good set of friends that love the Adam Pearson that exists today. No one's looking back at a nostalgic kind of retro Adam Pearson that everyone preferred, and no one's looking forward to like the future Adam Pearson that has his has his onions together, and one day that's who they'll love. The the me that exists today in all his kind of beautiful broken brilliance is who everyone loves. I love that beautiful broken brilliance. That that's incredible. Uh, when earlier when you talked about social media being a double-edged sword, can you can you elaborate on that? Well, it makes you it makes communities easier to find, but it makes other people easier to find you. And when you have a, and I'm sure you know this from from the comedy game, when you have like a media profile of sorts, if people don't like you, they'll find you and they'll tell you. And they'll just throw loads of kind of pejorative terms or expletives in there because that helps drive the point home more, kind of in in their head. And it, and, and whilst it gets kind of like water off a duck's back to me, I'm kind of like bulletproof my Teflon when it when it comes to trolling. I'm a lot smarter than than they are, and I also dabble in stand-up comedy, so I spend a lot of my time just blowing people up on on Twitter. It is just this, it can be quite a nasty place, the internet, can't it? Absolutely, because, you know, people can exist uh, with anonymity. Uh, you know, they don't have to put their name. The profile is hard to find them. And, and what's interesting is, though, and, and tell me if you found this, uh, that I've, I've, had, I've been trolled like a, I've been fortunate that I've only been trolled like a very few times, very rarely. And... When I respond to them with 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 love and, and kindness and compassion, they immediately crumble. They immediately uh, become enamored and and they're like, you know what? You're I'm a, I'm a lifelong fan now. And it's just so strange how this 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 the the attack and, and the anger can can at the same time and immediately become uh, friendship 
and and kindness. Have you found that? Yeah, I think when you respond to hatred with hatred, you just wind up with with more hatred. And so I think you either need to respond, always keep it dignified, and and always if you're going to take it down like the um, sarcastic comedic route, always make sure you're punching up, never never punch down or, or stoop to stoop to someone's level. But you know, as long as you come out looking looking dignified and and you can kind of um not embarrass yourself. Like I have a hard and fast rule that I, I'll never put anything on social media that I wouldn't say out loud to my mum. That's how I judge what the right thing to do in a situation is. Well, you know, what's so fascinating about that, Adam, is that uh, I'm struggling with that right now in terms of my comedic identity uh, because there, there are things that I've said on stage and that I would never say in front of my mom. And but there are times where I think about that. Like I'm like, would I say this in front of my mom? Would my would she be? Com-? Then I go, well, I'm not doing this for my mom. I'm doing it for the audience. And so I, I I find that I'm still in that space where. And then I have a nephew. He just turned ten, and I want my my nephew to be able to come to my shows and enjoy my comedy clips and et cetera, et cetera. So I, I'm glad you brought that up because it's, it's making me reflect on on my principles and values and morals. Do you not think comedy's a bit different, though? Um, like, for example, Jim Jeffries once had a journalist come to his show and just write out his entire set and print it. And even he says, yeah, I'll be the first to admit, when you read this back, not a great read. But it's comedy, it's not a TED talk. And these aren't my sincerely held beliefs. And the guys that um, Matt and Trey, who do South Park, say something that I wholeheartedly believe was in comedy either everything is okay or nothing is okay and you can't take kind of one thing or one area and hold it up as sacred and untouchable wow i've never heard that i love that but now you seem extremely well i mean like i i read a lot and but but you have a way with words when you said messed up marvel uh beautiful broken brilliance uh, you have a way with work. Well, like, how, what kind of books do you read, or how do you consume knowledge? So I, I do a lot of podcasting. I take on a lot of nonfiction, and I find people who communicate really well. And I just take in as much of their stuff as I can, and kind of look at the language they use, watch the style they have, the speed they talk at, the patter they have. And one of the guys that really turned me on to effective communication was Chris Rock. Wow. If you watch Chris Rock, even yeah. his early work, just his, his cadence, the pace he talks at, the way he brings an audience in and leaves those awkward pauses that last about half a second longer than they should. I, you know, Chris Rock was uh, the, the comedian who got me into stand-up. I had always watched stand-up, but it wasn't until uh, I saw uh, Bring the Pain, and then, but not just bring the pain, his half-hour HBO comedy special, uh, which uh, the title eludes me right now. Um, but you're right, the cadence, his way with words. I, he was the first comedian who I saw not just be funny, but he was saying something with the platform. Also, he made you think, he made you, made you wonder. He ignited conversation. Oh, no, completely. And I think good comedy should do that. It should make you think. I think if you're being kind of crass for the sake of being crass, and there is a definite time and a place for that, 
one of my other favourite comedians is um, Anthony Jeselnik. But I also think it is a really good political platform to make really interesting points about the world that we um, we exist in. Like um, Dave Chappelle's new Netflix special was just really poignant. What now? You listed some some uh, comedians. Uh, what what authors do you enjoy reading? You... So um, if I'm going down the, the fiction route, I'll I'll go for Tolkien like ten times out of ten. The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings are, are masterpieces in in literature. Then nonfiction, um, I read a lot of John Ronson. The Psychopath Test and So You've Been Publicly Shamed and The Men Who Stare at Goats are really good kind of mind, like kind of real kind of mind-melding non-fiction things based on, on true stories. Um, my, my best friend is doing currently doing a PhD in physics and engineering. And so I'm, I'm trying to read around that as much as I can so that when I see her and ask her, how, how's your week been? And she replies, I have something to say apart from cool. <laughs> See, you're, you're, you're very much uh, uh, like me where whatever my clients are interested in, I try to read up on a bit so that we can uh, pontificate. I don't even know if that's a, if I'm using that correctly. But, oh, yeah, uh, no. Very good use of that word. Uh, or, 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 you know, on a subject matter. But yeah, because I hate small talk. If there's anything that that that, that makes me want to just turn over tables, uh, it's small talk. <laughs> yeah, people that use a lot of words but say nothing. It's just infuriating. And because like, a, lot, a lot of my friends over here, a lot of the guys are into like um, soccer, football. And I'm not really an English sports guy. I'm kind of all about the NFL, the NHL, the UFC, the, the pro wrestling. But every every Sunday before church, when I know I'm going to see them, if there's been like stuff happening, I'll make sure I know what's happened, just so I can say the right words at the right point and <laughs> and engage them um, a, a little bit. Because again, that's the secret to good communication. And relational conversation is meeting people where they are, as opposed to where you wish they were. Now, where now where did that come from? I mean, did you did you always have this kind of mindset of reaching out, connecting with people, uh, or, or was this something that was developed or, or taught through time? It's it's very much a, a learning thing. I think you you learn by your mistakes. And that, that's why I, I'd always say that failure is something that should be, be embraced. We fail so that we can learn to do things better next time. If you're making the same mistakes repeatedly, that's a problem. Um, I think it's Einstein that said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. So always stay away from that. But there's a really good friend of mine called Elizabeth Day um, has a podcast and has written a book called How to Fail where she gets kind of successful people in just to talk about three things that they've done that they really screwed up in so that other people can be like, oh, yeah, I've done that. And their world's not falling down. So I guess my world's okay, okay as well. And I, even in, I'm sure, in your kind of like personal training stuff, there are people that take a bit longer to get to the goals than either you or they would like to. But it's all about kind of positive reinforcement and encouraging them to get there in, in their own time 
in a way that's healthy and sustainable, both physically and, and psychologically. So you're a British actor. And at what did you always want to act or what age did that come into play for you? <laughs> I, I fell into acting. So I, I was working in, in TV at the time. I was I was um, casting a British reality show and I got an email about this film. Um, and incredibly vague, like verging on sketchy. And they were like, yeah, they want a guy with a disfigurement to be in a film. If you're interested, give them a call. And so I sent them, I called them as a joke. And then the longer the whole process went on for, the more real it got. And I was discussing it in, in the pub on a Friday after work with my boss. And he was just like, what's the film called? And I was like, it's called Under the Skin. That's all, all I really know. And he Googled it on his phone. And we're just like, you know, Scarlett Johansson's attached to that film, don't you? And I was like, well, I better start taking this a lot more seriously than I've, I might have been doing previously. And then one thing led to another, and I ended up working with, made my acting debut with Scarlett Johansson, which is good work if you can get it. Right. Scarlett Joe, any day, any day of the week. She's she's really good. I had such a good time working with her. She's really sweet. She's really funny. She's kind. She's patient. And I, I tend to find that the, the higher up the, the celebrity hierarchy, whatever the hell that is, you are, the nicer you are. It's true. It's it's the it's usually the people who hang around the celebrities who aren't aren't the nice ones, and and then and then the celebrities themselves are usually it's, it's, the, the very laid back. It's, it's that middle layer of kind right. of, I don't work in, in kind of Dunkin' Donuts, but I'm not, I'm, it's the MTV kind of celebrity who tends to be a bit of a, a bit of a strange one. The, um, oh, what was her name? She was on Big Brother in the UK and started fights on a day that was Sarah Abraham. Sarah Abraham. Sarah, Sarah Abraham. Oh. Uh-uh. Yes. Not a nice person. Well, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure she's like a, I'm sure she's a good mum and her family love her. But if, if if I wake up tomorrow and think, oh, I'm stressed, who should I watch? I'm probably not gonna watch her. But uh, Adam, I'm I'm fascinated by your entire story. Let's get into your your childhood. Uh, so what? When were you born and? And is this is the is the NF one something? I'm assuming it's something you're born with. Do they, do they have a, a a source or a cause of it? So yeah, so I'm a, I'm a child of the '80s. So I I kind of 1985, and so it, it's genetic. But um, with NF, 50 percent of cases are, are hereditary, so they they're passed down from their par- your your parents, and then the other 50 are what they call spontaneous mutations, where for want of better terminology. It sort of just happens. And that's the category that I, I fall into. So for me, it sort of just happened. And it's a very broad spectrum of how severely one can be affected. Some people just who have the condition don't experience any physical symptoms at all. Um, let's call them one on the scale. And then right away where I am, I'm, I'm at the other end of that scale. I, I jokingly refer to myself sometimes as the spinal tap of NF1, and I've turned it up to 11. And people either really like that joke or really hate it. So, 
is there is there any any uh, pain associated with it? In, in my case, no, but there, there can be. Sometimes you can get the um, these tumors because that's what it is. It's um, non-cancerous tumors on nerve endings. So in in the same way that um, cables are wrapped in plastic, your nerves are wrapped in cells called Schwann cells, and it's the growth of those cells that cause these these tumors, the exponential growth. And if you get them where your kind of joints are, like the ball and socket joints or the hinge joints, that can make moving quite quite painful. But I, I've been very fortunate where I've avoided that loss of. Wow. And so you don't have to take any meds or any any type of, uh, is there any type of ongoing treatment that has to be done uh, at this stage? So I go, I go in for surgery every once in a while. They can go in and remove as much of the excess tissue as they can without being like dangerous or, or heroic. Because in my case, there are a lot of other things involved, like bone, muscle tissue, um, functioning nerves. You can only do so much before you um, experience diminishing returns and you do more harm than good. So, so far I've had 38 ops give or take and I do know because I, I did a documentary on it there is a clinical trial for the condition at the moment in, in Bethesda in Washington there's a, a MEC inhibitor and they've seen in in trials up to 40% shrinkage in some tumours in some cases and so at, at this stage um, you know growing up as a kid like what? How did you handle bullying? Was there? I'm, I'm assuming that there was some bullying taking place at that stage. How did you oh, handle yeah. it at, as a kid, and and how did the adults around you handle it? Also, I I handled it really badly. This is one of my um, learning by my mistakes um, moments, and I, I think kind of primary school or kind of um, kind of kindergarten. No, no one really cares. Your life is literally swings and roundabouts. Like my longest-standing friendship of what 31 years now is just based on he sat next to me on the first day of school. We both like the colour red, and he has yet to leave. That's my longest-standing friendship, um, right there. But then when you get to kind of high school, secondary school, um, this weird social pecking order comes in. And I always say, if you want to experience, if you want to watch Darwin's theory in perfect motion, go to any schoolyard up and down the country or throughout the planet, and and you'll see you'll see it happening. You'll see kind of the cool kids picking on on the nerds or the jocks going after the goths or or whatever the vernacular is now. I'm 35. I got no I got no clue what the kids say now, but the the mechanism is still the same. It's just the the delivery methods are different and the linguistics are, are different. And I was always unfortunate when, much like now on social media, I was a lot smarter than the people give me aggro. So I'd just be like blowing kids up in, in the playground. I'd be like, I don't retaliate, I escalate. So if if you're gonna if you're gonna come, you better make sure you don't you better make sure you don't miss. Is is that uh, do you feel like you were born with that type of attitude, or is that something like your father or your mom was like, you know, don't put up with anything? Was that was that their type of mentality, or? I think it's a mixture of of, of the two. I'm definitely like a what they would call a type A, anyway. 
but he always had like a really um really strong mother and father who had, who raised me not to take um no nonsense from from nobody um and I, I always as a kid had that bit from cool runnings running through my head kind of i see pride i see power i see a badass man who don't take no crap off of nobody and that was kind of my school playground playground mantra and maybe i got a bit carried away once in a while but but don't we all but no i think i i, I have two options when it comes to how how i handle myself because life is 90 percent no, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you choose to handle it. And I, I could sit around and play kind of REM and hug the dog and and cry, but that's just going to really piss off the dog. So <laughs> you, 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 you make a choice, you put your head down and you, you decide what to be and you go and be it. I, lo- I love that mentality. I love that. And, and so you, we, we talked about elementary school. Uh, was it was the your relationships with friends with people did that did you see a change in how people responded between elementary school high school and and further on yeah no totally and i think the the friendships you have at high school in in the main aside from like two or three are like super fickle like no one realizes how dumb high school is until you've left high school and you're all there on the last day, like signing yearbooks and hugging and saying your best, best friends forever. And then you leave and never speak to each other again, apart from maybe once a year at a wedding or, or something. And then it's when you get to like kind of further education, kind of university, college, A, those are the friends that will probably stick with you for the rest of your life. And I think the person you become in those years is the person you'll be for the rest of your life. So you better make sure in those years you're being a good guy. Absolutely. It's all about, you know, what habits are you establishing and, and what you're building up there. Um, it sounds like you got into a couple fights on the elementary school playground, though. It, sound, it sounds like you got a couple W's up under your belt. I, I was never a physical kind of guy. I'm, I'm, I'm not winning that. I... I am the farthest thing from the, the LeBron James of of the playground, but I, I was certainly witty. Ah, uh, you're right, right, right. Uh, and I so could, I could tear people down with words. I was the Pete Davis of the playground. <laughs> I love it. And so, at, at, at any point, you know, you, you talk about like the amount of surgeries you have to go through and how. Going to the hospital can be such a terrifying place for some people uh, if you don't take control of, of your treatment and uh, of what you're doing uh, and you know, of your health. Uh, did you have to go to or have you been to any therapy, like counseling? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had art therapy as a kid. And then and any time I kind of have a wobble. And it's okay to have a wobble. Sometimes just your your life situation and your ability to manage those don't weigh up. And that's okay. Sometimes we get overwhelmed and we need to talk to someone. And that's that's a perfectly healthy thing to do. And again, it comes back to good, honest communication, like you would do in any any situation. You wouldn't walk into Subway and stare at them, assuming they knew how to help you instinctively. And why should your emotional intelligence be any different 
Absolutely. You know, I, I, I go in and out of, of therapy all the time. And it is what, you know, when I'm feeling overwhelmed or when I'm feeling uh, angry or when there's like a major transition that I recognize I'm not uh, maybe coping with uh, in, the, in the most healthy way. Um, so do you are you do you constantly go to therapy or are you in and out of therapy or is it just yeah, like I'm, when you're feeling I'm, overwhelmed? I'm, I'm in and out. I'm in and out. I don't have like a constant thing going on yet. So I've got no doubt it may, day, may one day come for me. Like most actors or comedians I know are constantly in therapy. It's, it's a dark world that they all inhabit. Yeah, they, they all, especially, you know, and not to stereotype my, my Jewish uh, comedic friends. I mean, they just seem to love therapy and, uh, and I'm, I'm in and out all the time, like a SWAT team operation for me. I'm like, I, I want six sessions. Let's fix this. Let's talk about this. And then, then I'm done. And then let, let me get on my way. Yeah. 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 Patch me up and put me back in the game. What overwhelms you? You talked about feeling overwhelmed. What, what are moments where you've been overwhelmed and, and how'd you get through that? Oh, what overwhelms me? I don't think it's one specific thing. I've never had a um, a kind of David versus Goliath moment. It's like just like loads of little, little things. It isn't kind of the instead of like one horse-sized duck, I have ten duck-sized horses that, that I can't deal with. And so that's when you go go and talk to someone and kind of get your head head back in the game, like a little kind of halftime pep talk, and then you break it down bit by bit and and work out what you can control and what you can't control. I think one of my biggest flaws is that I'm a massive control freak. Like to a real micro level. And the ability to learn what things are in my control and what things are out of my control is probably the most helpful thing I've learned as as a grown man. And and you say uh, control freak, like yeah, you need things done. At, you, like you're very prompt. If it's at eight, it's going to be eight. You like things where they're going to be. Um, and and it, I would imagine that sometimes that gets in the way with working with other people. Yeah, it can do. But I think that's because particularly like TV and film, like time is money. Like if, if I'm if I'm organising to meet friends for a drink and they're like half an hour late, like whatever, I'll ask them where they've been, but I'm not going to lose sleep over it or start an argument um, over it. But when it comes to kind of like work stuff or, or scheduling or, or what have you, I'm all all about that, and it's about learning to compromise. And sometimes people are just how they are, and you've got to you've got to roll with it slightly. Well, Adam, you know, not everybody has your wit. How do you, uh, when you talk to other kids who uh, who are being bullied, um, what other suggestions do you have for them in terms of dealing with being bullied? I, I would always encourage them to get around people who have the same interests as you and will like you for you. Like I, I, when I was like a teenager, I found my solace in like really geeky niche communities. So I was like the, the the gaming guy, the wrestling guy, Magic the Gathering, Dungeons and Dragons. I was into all that really like really weird stuff that wasn't cool at the time. But is now making a resurgence. If I were a teenager now, I'd be the man. 
<laughs> Absolutely. There, there's so many uh, online and, and even like uh, meetup groups for, for all the all the nerdy stuff. And even when you look at TV shows, it's like the geeky kids, the outliers are the ones who are getting the girls and everybody's looking up to. Oh, yeah, totally. And it's and particularly like kind of, um, I assume we're the same age, particularly our generation. It's the same stuff coming back around again. Everything circles back around again. And and now, have you have you traveled outside of England? Like, in ter- I know you do activist work. What 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 kind of activist work do you do? So it's all uh, in the UK. It's mainly medical conferences, um, school assemblies, and uh, the documentary work allows me to travel quite a lot. So I do a lot of stuff in in the states. I've been to where else have I been? I've been to Mexico, Canada, Vietnam, Greece, Belgium. I once took a job in Slovakia by mistake, which might be the most hilarious yet stupid thing I've ever ever done. Even by my standards, that was special. And so I get to travel a lot. I'm really fortunate. Now, what happened in Slovakia? I mean, I would <laughs> think that would be a, a cool place to go. <laughs> oh, it, it's, it's it was amazing. So it was just after the um, Scarlett Johansson film had come out, and I got a random tweet from a Twitter account that had, like, next to no followers and no avatar, saying, hi, I'm a director in Slovakia. I want you to be in a music video. Are you interested? And I tweeted back going, yes, here are my details. Kind of, again, disarming trolls with kind of love and wit. And the next thing I know, I've got a contract from plane tickets in my inbox. And I'm like, oh, no. And I, I call the airline, and these are very much real plane tickets. And the flight's in four days. And I look at my passport and think, oh, bollocks, that was a year ago. So I had to pay an extortionate amount of money to get my passport done in four hours. And, yeah, get to go and be in a music video for a band in Slovakia. And everyone was like, yeah, this band are really famous in Slovakia. But that's like me saying I'm quite famous in my kitchen. Kind of, that doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah, yeah, it's a very small uh, country. It is. But it was a really good experience and really, really surreal. And we were filming in winter on this abandoned golf course, trying to get this really kind of Game of Thronesy kind of winter has come feel to it. And there was no heating in the cabin we were using. So to stay warm, they had a bottle of whiskey that you could just take a swing out of if you had to warm up. That was the gig. Now, you have a brother. Is he older or younger than you? He is half an hour younger. Um, oh, a half an hour. And then, so you guys are twins? Yeah, oh, yeah. And so it, it, does he also have NF1? He does, but it affects him differently. Uh, how so? How does it affect him differently? So he doesn't have the, the physical symptoms that I do, but he has epilepsy and short-term memory loss. So his issues are on his difficulties are a lot more cognitive than mine would be, or they present more cognitively than mine do. And, and what's the and what's your relationship between you two? Are, are you guys we, we, very close, or yeah, we we get on, we get on. I, I'm I'm his kind of tech support and and stuff. He's not very good with technology, blessings. So I'm forever fixing things. But you know, we we hang out, we go to the pub. If there's like a big UFC or boxing fight on, we'll both chip in and order it and what have you. Yeah, we, we have a good relationship. 
Are you guys roommates or do you have your separate yeah. own? Pl- okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fan. It's so. It's. I mean, and then what about your your love life? Uh, what, what about the women in your life, Adam? Is that how are you? Are you, are you trying? I would assume with that, with with your with the way you are with words, you, you're you're charming the pants off of, off a few uh, femme fatales. I I I do have an element of charm and, and sophistication to me. Um, I'm single at the moment just because I'm like really deep in a couple of projects at the moment. And it wouldn't be fair to bring bring someone into that. And I'm also always acutely aware that when I start dating someone, I instantly become Adam Pearson's girlfriend. And it becomes this kind of big media spin of how brave she is for dating someone like me and, and what have you. And I'm always really protective um, over, over that. And I have this like hard and fast rule, you don't get, you don't go near my, my loved ones or my family without without my, my consent. In, in almost like a real kind of Godfather-esque esque way, so that's always something that's at the forefront forefront of my mind. That completely makes sense. It's like you you know you want to make sure that the timing is right in terms of the attention you can give to someone, uh, but also you have to think about the public uh, appearance of it. And so, like, what what qualities are you looking for uh, in a woman? I I, I love smart women. Who can like hold a conversation, and who who are funny? Like funny women are insanely attractive. Yeah, because it, I, 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 go ahead. I don't have time for that kind of SJW taking everything seriously. And and if I'm like, it happened really recently. I was on what website was it? Was it Tinder or was it the other one? I think it was Match.com. Someone told me to watch my microaggressions, and I'm not. I'm done. I'm out. I can't. I can't be doing with this. <laughs> now, I would imagine, you know, it's like you, you talked about being a messed up Marvel in the beginning. That there are superpowers that would come with it. Like if when I think about somebody who has autism, uh, you know, they're usually like very good in a particular area, whether it's math or science or numbers uh are there like are there are there like superpowers that come with this like high testosterone levels or uh you know anything like that <laughs> none, none that i found so far but I'm, I'm working on it i'm slowly trying my hand at everything to find the one thing i'm good at <laughs> and i'm it with a superpower I love that. And then in, in terms of you said you're working on a project now, uh, you said the documentary not right now you're promoting. What 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 can we expect from this documentary? So we've got a lot of ideas in, in the pipeline. We're working on one at the moment looking at representation of disability in in Hollywood. And the idea that um, where in in the history of the Oscars there have been sixty one um, nominated actors who have played disabled characters there have been 25 who have won Oscars for playing those said disabled characters but only two of them have actually had a disability and the most recent one of those was in 1987 yeah it's insane I remember Marley Matlin who uh, yes. deaf actress and 
and right now I'm taking uh, sign language because I, I think that because we're all wearing face masks, we're, we're going to all have to sign soon to communicate. Um, but uh, Marley Matlin is who I thought, like, how could we have gone from her and then to nothing? You would think there would be uh, a, a huge uptick. And then now was the guy who played in the in Moonstruck uh, Cher's son? Did he had did he have NF? What was what was his diagnosis or was that was that makeup? Yeah, no, that was makeup. Ah, uh, but yeah, it's fascinating that when when you look at like at the eighties and nineties, like I looked at Old Sesame Street, very diverse cast. They had you know people who were uh, had uh, uh, disabilities, and it just seems like we've we've become less diverse and less uh, and, and less uh, uh, we see uh, fewer people with with disabilities on TV. Well, I think the reason for that, well, one of the reasons is, and far be it for me to cast aspersions or get myself blacklisted from my own industry. Um, disability in regards to diversity is the only area that costs money. We can all pretend that we're not racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic and what have you. But to put in a ramp, you've got to pay money and put in a ramp. To make your um, kind of sets and productions accessible, you've got to front a little bit of cash. And so I think that's why there's a big pushback on it. Uh, it I mean, it's almost like, you know, there would be more kids casting things, but there's so many parameters around casting kids uh, that, like, when you submit a script, they're like, ah, oh, we don't want, we don't want kids. There's... Uh, it's the difficulty of, of, of entry, but it's like everything costs money. And, and the truth is, is that they don't see on the back end that when you have a diverse cast, it, it appeals to more people and ends up making more money. Like if you look at the top earning movies, Fast and, the Fast and Furious series is on their seventh movie. It's a global uh, juggernaut. And it has an extremely diverse cast. I mean, minus, you know, uh, people with disabilities. But if you and then if you added that to the mix, it would even be more widespread. So there's the proof is in the, the numbers. And I don't know why they they don't see the 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 other side of it, of, of the rewards that can come from this. Completely. The, the purple pound, which is the disposable income of disabled people globally, is worth one trillion dollars. And and nobody's talking about it. Nobody's you don't see them uh, in commercials, uh, in sketches, any of that. And uh, but but I think it, like everything else, uh, it, there's you know something happens. There's always like one person or one event that causes this exponential explosion of of actors that we'll start to see with disabilities. Uh, that, you know that's. It's, I'm sure there's like a slow accumulation that that maybe is unseen. I mean, do you see it anywhere in any, you know, you travel the world so much and, and, and you're in acting. Do you see anywhere where there is it's becoming more acceptable or more visible, actually? I, I think we're starting to. I think at the moment, the diversity conversation, particularly in, in TV and film, has been boiled down to race and gender, which is, which is important. I don't want to turn this into some kind of massive um, oppression Olympics. But I think with diversity, either it's all, it's all important or none of it's important again. And we can't 
claim we're diverse when we're just being diverse-ish. That's that's not an option that anyone has put on the table. And so I either do it all or don't do any of it. But don't pander to people and pretend and pretend that you are. Diversity isn't something that you can act. You either do it or or you don't. And there's a plethora of disabled talent out there. You just got to pick up the phone and find them. Getting back into bullying, uh, you know, we, we talked about your experience and, and how you responded and, and how kids who may be uh, being bullied could respond. Uh, what can we do as a society, as a culture, at a, at a systemic level to curb bullying? I think we all, and it's really interesting now, because that, that level of social isolation that people are feeling now for a lot of people with disabilities or visible differences is like a day-to-day thing. And for a lot of people in the UK who I know, this not leaving the house malarkey has been a welcome break from kind of staring, pointing, name-calling and ridicule. And so I think we all, in a weird way, we've never been more equal as, as, a, as a race than we are right now. Because everyone's in the same boat. Everyone's looking at each other with the same amount of suspicion, fear, and loathing. And so when when this finally does lift, when, whenever that is, I think we all hopefully can learn to be kind to each other, irrespective of whether we're kind of disabled, male, female, kind of black, white, Asian, gay, straight, bi, what, what have you. And if we can all smile and embrace each other's humanity and stand united in our commonalities than be divided by, by our differences. And at the risk of sounding overly political, I think um, we need to start building bridges and stop building walls. It, you know, what's fascinating is I'm, I'm reading Genghis Khan's book right now. And one of the the points that he made about why Genghis Khan was uh, able to be so dominant, I mean, you know, besides just the, the pure savagery, but they, they commented on how he built more bridges than buildings. He, he, he didn't want buildings. He, he didn't care for statues and things to be built in his name, but he did care about uniting all the different cultures. I mean, even if it was through war, he, his the, the intent was to unite uh, the different cultures so that it would bring an end to, to all the, the warfare and the, and the internal conflict that existed. Uh, so not to compare your idea, ideology to Genghis Khan, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, there, but there's away. something there. Yeah, there, there's something there about building bridges, building a way for us to connect. And like you said, social media is that double-edged sword because it is in a way, it helps to build bridges. It help, helps to for people to connect and find people who are like-minded. Uh, but you, you have to navigate through the trolls and through, through the booby traps of, of, uh, of, of people who have uh, uh, insidious um, intentions. No, completely. Completely agree. Uh, Adam, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you feel like that people need to know either about NF1, about bullying, about about anything, about taking care of your mental health? Uh, I, I think I think the big, the big takeaway from all this, particularly when it comes to mental health, because it's, it's Mental Health Awareness Week in, in the UK at the moment. 
And so if you if you take if anyone takes one thing away from this, take away that it, it's okay not to be okay. Everyone, to one degree or another, is jacked up. It's just some of us are a lot better at hiding it than the rest of you. Well said. Thank you so much, sir. And and this is the, the question I ask of all my guests because I assume that there's always one person listening in who may be on the precipice of ending their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Adam? Hmm. Think about those people in your life that you you care about. Because when when you kill yourself, it isn't just your life you're you're ending, and you'll leave behind just a slew of completely heartbroken people. And so, at the moment, if you can't see a reason for you to live, see a, they need you here. You might not need you here at the moment, and if that's how you feel, far be from me to tell you that that's wrong. But there are a ton of people that need you here. And how you feel right now isn't how you'll feel for the rest of your life. And I can't promise you your circumstances will change, but I can promise you how you feel about them will. Adam Pearson, thank you so much for joining me. Where can people find you? Plug all the things. <laughs> so you can grab me on, on Twitter at Adam underscore Pearson, on the Instagram at Adam underscore Pearson underscore TV. And my YouTube channel, I believe, is Adam Pearson Videos, all, all one word. But that's just sort of like geeky gaming nonsense. I think there's like a 40-hour Final Fantasy VII video on there somewhere. Adam, this has been a delightful, enlightening conversation. Uh, I, I'm going to go grab all the uh, J.R. Tolkien. I'm not even into that world, the Hobbit and blah, blah, blah. But your way with words, I want to, I want to, I want to use words the way you do. So I'm going to read the books that you're reading because <laughs> I, 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 I was like, man, he really, he really stringing these words together. Like, uh, like I just read Moby Dick, and there were so many lines in there that I highlighted because I was just like, wow, just a, an incredible uh, uh, use of, of of the English language. Uh, thank you, Adam Pearson. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, listeners, for listening in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for, for you know, uh, being proactive and being active in, in treating your mental health, whether that's going to therapy, getting coaching, calling a friend, doing some push-ups, uh, uh, reading a book, whatever it is, uh, you have to make the first step. Be proactive. Call the 1-800-SUICIDE number if you need to. Uh, go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. And let's get to tomorrow together. Thanks a lot, Adam. Anytime.